Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai It's 7 a.m. Central African time. A very good morning and welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in the Republic of South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Luanda Maume and with me on the show is N. Musa and Tabisoli Huku. Your top stories now. Governments are coming to the rescue of their citizens as they battle to get back to normal due to the COVID-19 disruptions. The Congress of South African Students refuses to rule out the possibility of disrupting plans for the reopening of schools this morning. In economics, Kenyan manufacturers call for repayment of withheld VAT running into millions of US dollars owed by the Kenya Revenue Authority. Details on these and other stories as we progress with the show right now. It's a minute after seven. Let's get the news. Here's N. Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musan, good morning. South Africa's Minister of Health, Dr. Zulim Kize, says monitoring and surveillance for coronavirus cases will continue at schools when learners return to classes this morning. He says his department is confident that schools are properly prepared to receive learners. Meanwhile, student organization COSA says it's not ruling out the possibility of interrupting plans for the reopening of schools. COSA said previously called for only matriculants to return to school and complete the 2020 academic year. Senovuyo Mankayi is from COSAS. As Congress of South African students, we did mention Uguti, we don't want state levels going down right to grade R, going back to school. And as Gossas, you know, we will take radical steps if we need to, to make sure that our call is being had. We will need uh, to discuss Uguti, how we're going to go around mobilizing. South Africa has recorded 72 more COVID-19 related fatalities since the last report. This while the total number of coronavirus cases now stands at 609,773. Zoleka Kodashi reports. Of the over 18,000 tests conducted in the last 24-hour cycle, South Africa has recorded an increase of 2,728 new infections and less than 100 deaths. The country's 72 COVID-19-related fatalities is the lowest number of deaths recorded since June. Gauteng recorded the highest number of fatalities at 41, followed by Guazunatal with 12, the Eastern Cape 11 and the Western Cape 8. The increase in deaths has led to the country breaching the 13,000 deaths mark and now stands at a total of 13,059. Lesotho's Deputy Prime Minister Matebe Edimukutu has announced that he will lead a delegation to South Africa to meet with President Cyril Ramaphosa over the arrest of Lesotho's Defence Force soldiers in the country, as well as the arrest of SNDF soldiers and border officials in Lesotho. Last week, Lesotho police arrested two SNDF soldiers and two border officials for allegedly entering the country without passports to fill up with petrol. Last month, South Africa detained two Lesotho Defence Force soldiers 
soldiers who were allegedly pursuing alleged livestock thieves into South Africa. Anistota Account Mukutu says the aim of the meeting is to discuss an amicable solution to the tension created by the arrest. South Africa's border has been closed as government attempts to stem the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. Sudan's Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok says the government is ready to cooperate with the International Criminal Court so that those accused of war crimes in Darfur appear before the tribunal, a list that includes ousted President Umar al-Bashir. Bashir, who has been in jail in Khartoum since he was toppled after mass protests last year, is wanted by the ICC for alleged war crimes and genocide. Sudan's transgenerial government, a three-year joint civilian military arrangement led by Hamdok, says a peace deal with some rebel groups active in Darfur is expected to be signed in the coming days. Hamdok says discussions with the U.S. are continuing to get Sudan off the U.S. list of state sponsors of terrorism. The U.S.-led coalition in Iraq has withdrawn from the Taj military base, which has regularly been attacked by local militia. This was the eighth transfer of a coalition portion of an Iraqi base back to Iraqi forces. It came days after U.S. President Donald Trump reiterated his promise to withdraw the few U.S. troops still in the country. The United States has had about 5,000 troops stationed in Iraq and coalition allies a further 5,500, the BBC's Sebastian Usher has more. Taji is the eighth military base that coalition forces in Iraq have left this year. It's come under rocket attack a number of times. Iranian-backed militias are believed to be responsible. One attack wounded three coalition personnel and two Iraqis back in March. Most of the coalition has already left the base, which once held 2,000 of a U.S.-led international force deployed to Iraq to defeat the Islamic State group. President Trump has recently reiterated his promise to remove the few remaining U.S. troops from Iraq, whose parliament voted for the departure of all foreign forces in response to the killing of Qasem Soleimani at the start of the year. In sports news, Jacques Callas, widely regarded as one of the greatest all-rounders in international cricket, has been inducted into the ICC's Hall of Fame. The only player to have made 10,000 runs and taken 250 wickets in both discs and ODIs, Callas is the most kept South African cricketer of all time. He was inducted in a virtual ceremony held by the ICC along with Pakistan's Zahir Abbas and Australian Lisa St- Stalika. Callas says his body held up well through what was a demanding and supremely successful 20-year career in the game. I think obviously once I'd made the side, uh, my main role was to, to play as the batter. Um, and then kind of did a couple of overs, um, you know, the first part of my career. Uh, and then sort of once I got more established with, with the batting side of it, realised that there was a big role that I could play with the ball uh, and put some hard work into it. Um, and then sort of towards the middle and then end part of my career, when, when I had the bat in my hand, I, you know, I saw myself as a batter. And uh, when I had the ball in the, in the hand, then I saw myself as a bowler. Um. Channel Africa would like to distance itself from fake social media accounts using the name Channel African News. The Facebook, WhatsApp and fake website have been impersonating our genuine Channel Africa digital platforms. Channel Africa is not associated with these fake accounts. Channel Africa's Facebook account is Channel Africa Numerical One. It is Channel Africa, the African Perspective. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
Let's say thank you very much there to Anne Musa with that uh, news bulletin. She's back at 7.30 Central African time with your news headlines. It's eight minutes after seven. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Luanda Maume. As countries in the world are looking at ways and means of getting back on their feet in terms of normalcy in the advent of COVID-19, governments are coming to the rescue of their citizens. The Zambian media has been, has been left out struggling alone without any hope and all calls seems to have fallen on deaf ears. But our Zambia correspondent Ataskopo notes from the recent happenings that something could be cooking somewhere and filed the following report from Lusaka. The effects of COVID-19 have not spared any sector in any venture in the world. Business have closed down, schools shut, paralysis on the health system. The financial markets have seen terrible shakeup. But as the world lives in the now new normal and trying to find ways to navigate through this, governments and other stakeholders are coming up to the aid of their citizens and societies respectively. Seemingly quite late in the 17 million populated nation that has high poverty levels of over 60% according to the World Bank, the government is beginning to offer stimulus packages for the resuscitation and back on track running of lives and businesses. As seen in the stimulus packages offered to other sectors like the arts and financial, the media that seem to be left out is now called on to apply for this incentive so that they do not close down as their collapsing would entail that the public would greatly be affected in terms of lack of information and knowledge on what is happening globally. This call is coming from Zambia's Minister of Information and Broadcasting, Dora Selea. Wilson Pundamali, who is Cloud FM radio manager and editor-in-chief, welcomes the move but has these concerns. The, the liquidity problems that the country is facing because it's dispensing a lot of uh, money, even when there is uh, very little that is being generated through the tax revenue, there's very little income that is coming in because uh, there are very few goods that are coming in because in other countries production has halted. So instead of uh, applying for stimulus packages in terms of cash, what they can do is that they can waive some of the fees that we pay, okay? Like the money that we pay to the independent broadcasting authority, the licenses, we waive this much uh, for the next year, maybe you won't pay so that you have uh, the little money that you have in your accounts, use them to, start to sustain the media houses, instead of now putting putting some more money to create further liquidity problems, what the government can do is to say they will some of our taxes. General Manager at Solozi FM Radio, Vesa Kenamina Katongo, welcomes the move and also has this to note. We would have loved this initiative to have been earlier because you cannot imagine the impact that we've had. So it's been very tricky running an organization where you have to, where funds are very scanty because other organizations that are largely affected, who are our clients, have had to pull out and uh, we have had to re-strategize and see how best we can survive and this COVID-19. It's not been easy. I know uh, other institutions have been laid off workers because of this. But we hope that this pronouncement is going to um, come to fruition and yield the fruits that it is intended for. We want to see a criteria that is flexible and uh, all, all media institutions in the country benefiting from this pronouncement and not where we, we in other areas of operation outside Lusaka remain disadvantaged as we have seen in the past. It is very important that they, they realize that and as such everyone should be a beneficiary of this, uh, this initiative. Matthew Zindandula, a journalist based in Lusaka, is confident that the help can afford the struggle 
smuggling industry. You find that some journalists are now losing jobs because they would want to trim the number of reporters because they cannot afford to pay them. So the move by government for me, I think, is a good one because it will help you know a lot of journalists not to lose jobs. For example, if you look at newspapers, uh, most of them, even now, if you check, you find that a lot of newspapers, you find that a page is all about advertising. And if people are not advertising already, that is a loss. How do you print out those? You look at also the effects of um, yeah, electricity. And the Media Institute of Southern Africa, Misa Zambia Chapter, through Chairperson Helen Mwale, calls on government to look at other avenues such as waiving off procurement of media equipment in addition to the stimulus packages. All in all, the media in Zambia will count the decision but hopes it will be done soon and in a fair manner. Arthur Devsuskopo reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia. Student organization, the Congress of South African Students, COSAS, says it's not ruling out the possibility of disrupting plans for the reopening of schools this morning. Millions of learners are expected back at school today after five months away from school due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Nine grades are expected to join grade 7 and 12 who already returned to school. This despite COSAS and teacher unions raising concerns that some township and rural schools are still not COVID-19 compliant to welcome more learners. Tabilempele reports. This morning, learners in grades R, 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 9, 10, and 11 are expected back in class to join grades 7s and 12s to complete the 2020 academic year. Here's Basic Education Spokesperson Elijah Mshanga. The focus will be on orientation, making sure that they are familiarized with the new uh, normal, where there's social distancing in the classroom and outside, where there's uh, constant checking of uh, compliance with these health and safety regulations. But they will also be familiarized with the general hygiene practices that involve washing of hands and constant sanitizing. However, this might not go ahead as planned if student body COSAS has its way. Snovuyo Mankai from COSAS says they are unhappy with learners returning to school this morning. As Congress of South African students, we did mention we don't want grade 11 going down right to grade R, going back to school. And as COSAS, you know, we will take radical steps if we need to, to make sure that our call is being had. We will need uh, to discuss how we're going to go around mobilizing for Indoyangoms. Teacher Union, the National Teachers Union, NATU, says majority of township and rural schools are not ready to welcome more learners this morning since some schools do not even have a single mask for learners 
who are returning to school. Ellen Thompson from NATU says they are also concerned that there are no additional teachers to replace those who are at home because of comorbidities. The majority again of the provinces, they failed dismally to provide the PPEs in schools. We are receiving so many calls from principals of schools. They are worried that uh, how are they going to receive learners if they do not have even a single mask that was delivered. Another serious issue is that when learners are returning to schools, it will be as if there is no corona because no additional classes have been delivered in schools because we have classes that are having 80 learners. So it means that class has to be subdivided. Another teachers' union, the South African Democratic Teachers' Union, says it will adopt the wait-and-see attitude and make a decision at the end of the day. Gosana Tulopi is from Satu. We will have a sense of whether they are ready or not when our learners are going back. That's what we'll get the reports from our structures and we'll then be able to determine whether they are ready and or not. But we are still emphasizing that the schools... We should avoid any transmissions at the level of the schools. There should be no time that we'll have another search at the level of the schools when they reopen. The basic education department is adamant that the schooling system is ready to welcome the remainder of the grades back to school this morning and that all schools qualify and meet the COVID-19 requirements. Mshanga explains. The system is ready to receive learners. Where there are issues, they need to talk to the district offices so that their issues can be addressed. Uh, those principals that are complaining, they should have already reported to the province what is lacking so that they can get the supplies that they need. In fact, the very reason that they went back to school first was to ensure that they identify all the issues that they need for them to be able to, to run. But uh, parents must also play their part and release their children to school wearing their masks. The outstanding grades 5s and 8s will return to school on Monday, the 31st of August. That report by Tabile Mbele brings us to 17 minutes after 7 Central African time. It's time for a short break. We're back after this. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided to place the entire country on alert level 2, with effect from midnight on Monday, the 17th of August 2020. Alert level two in terms of our risk-adjusted strategy in dealing with the pandemic means that there is moderate COVID-19 spread of the virus with a relatively high health system readiness. The move to level two means that we can remove nearly all of the restrictions on the resumption of economic activity across most industries. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. Welcome back. It's almost 19 minutes after 7 Central African time. Now, Cameroon authorities are searching for more than 130 former separatist fighters who recently escaped from disarmament, demobilization and reintegration centers. The ex-rebels had turned themselves in to the rehabilitation centers but later escaped after complaints about poor facilities and a shortage of basic needs. Despite their initial voluntary surrender, Cameroon authorities still consider the former rebels a security threat. Moki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. General Valenka 
commander of Cameroon troops fighting separatists, has threatened to kill any ex-rebel who again take up weapons against the state of Cameroon. But he says the ex-fighters will be pardoned if they return to disarmament, demobilization and reintegration centers. The security and defense forces are here to protect them. And then we need the collaboration to succeed this operation because you have to win hearts and minds. Many Ambazonians have been misled. Let them drop their weapons, you take them to the GDR, and then they come to normal life. The operation to bring back ex-fighters and encourage those who are still reluctant to drop their weapons is carried out on local media. Messages on the functioning of the centers are also shared on social media. The Cameroon government says some 130 ex-fighters recently escaped from the rehabilitation centers. Local newspapers report that 250 former rebels escaped and returned to the bush where they hide to commit atrocities. Former fighters have been sharing video messages on social media asking their runaway peers to return to the rehabilitation centers. In the videos, the ex-rebels say the conditions at the disarmament, demobilization and reintegration centers have improved. The videos explain that there is enough food, agriculture, livestock and carpentry training facilities to enable the former fighters to have revenue generating activities in the future. Emmanuel Valley, a former fighter at the disarmament center in the northwestern town of Bamenda, says the military does not torture ex-rebels to get information. He says information about harassment and, at times, killing of ex-fighters who surrender is shared on social media by separatists to discourage rebels who want to surrender. Fake news in the commercial military in the take we go kill we one one say Didi Aruna fake. Una one thing away. He says social media information that the military has killed some ex-fighters is fake news. He says separatists who have not handed themselves to the Cameroon government want to intoxicate the minds of fighters who are ready to surrender. He says such information should not scare young fighters who have just joined the demobilization centers and are still to know how the centers function. He says he is already learning how to repair computers and hopes to earn a living from it in the future. We will learn computer now so we will not be really noticed that we will touch computer before. Now meet this and never die. Francis Fayengo, director of Cameroon Disarmament, Demobilization and Reintegration, says increased military presence at the centers in recent weeks is to protect the ex-fighters from separatists. Yango says Cameroon President Paul Bia has asked for the improvement of facilities at the centers for the reintegration of former fighters. He spoke on Cameroon State Media CRTV. 
We're completing a center in Bamenda, which can take about a thousand persons. The one in Boyai, they're going to start construction in the days ahead. When those centers are completed, we'll turn all of them. I've sent enough means, financial means, for them to eat three times a day. And they go to the hospital and so on. So we're thinking about these things. President Bia in December 2018 created a national committee for disarmament, demobilization and reintegration of former Boko Haram fighters in the far north and former separatist fighters in northwest and southwest regions. The government said the committee was created to assist all former fighters who heeded Bia's call to drop their guns and be pardoned. Cameroon says about 300 former separatist fighters are still being taken care of at the disarmament centers in the northwestern town of Bamenda and the southwestern town of Boya. The four-year-long separatist crisis has killed more than 3,000 people and displaced 500,000 others, according to the United Nations. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. Cameroon. The South African Banking Risk Information Center and the Southern African Fraud Prevention Services is urging people to identity protection if they suspect their identity has been compromised. This after a breach of data which exposed the personal information of more than 24 million South Africans and over 793,000 business entities. More from Roy Retief, Head of Operations at the South African Fraud Prevention Services. You know, it, it obviously there, there is a, a lot of uh, personal information that we, we've seen the media is now out mm-hmm. there. And I think it is critical that, that uh, consumers are aware of what they should be looking at so that they don't find themselves victims of, um, of, of identity theft, which is typically the environment that we operate in. So I, I think um, consumers need to be aware of what's going on with their, with their personal information. For example... Um, you know, monitoring bank statements, monitoring mm-hmm. uh, uh, store card mm-hmm. statements to see that there are no purchases going on. And more importantly, also being very mindful of, if I could put it in, in, in inverted commas, new accounts that they never knew that they had. So, so um, you know, the, the quickest way to um, sort of become aware of this is, you know, if you start getting calls from debt collectors for yeah. debts that you know nothing about, a lot of people think, oh, you know, the debt collectors just got the information wrong, but it, it, that is a very, very good sign out credit in your name that you may not be aware of. My goodness. Um, well, when we talk about um, situations like this, you know, um, there's always a lot of anxiety um, from people around sharing the information with new technologies that come about. I mean, now um, it's as easy as a tap to be able to pay with your card, etc., etc. So talk to us about um, uh, the free identity protection and, and, and how that works and whether it's available to everyone. Yes, Ikona, thank you. There is a, a, it's an, a service that South African, Southern African Fraud Prevention Service offers called a protective registration. Hmm. So if consumers are concerned that their identity may have been compromised, um, they can uh, pop us an email. Our email address is protection at safps.org.za and our team will take them through the process. So there's an application process that needs to be followed. However, what would happen is we we then entry on our database to say that this consumer has requested protection 
and our member companies, which are typically the the, the big banks, uh, mm. the big retailers, mm-hmm. telco, to, uh, mobile phone companies, insurers, and so on. Mm-hmm. If that consumer's identity number gets used to apply, for example, for an account at one of these institutions, sure. um, that would trigger a flag to that uh, uh, company to say that, look, this consumer's identity has been compromised. Um, just mm-hmm. do a bit of extra care to make sure that you're dealing with a genuine consumer and not somebody impersonating yeah. them. Yeah. So we will also, as part of this process, if the customer applies for a protective registration, issue them with a letter mm-hmm. um, that they can then present to that, that uh, company to say, look, this is this is genuinely me. Here's my letter confirming my protective registration. Sure. And um, I, I mean, there's a lot we can go into, but unfortunately, we don't have too much time today. Yes. Um, just, uh, you know, some tips, uh, Roy, and quick, quick guidelines, you know, of what some precautionary measures that people can take are. Certainly, there are two. Firstly, every South African consumer is entitled to one free credit report um, from the credit bureaus per year. And mm-hmm. it's really good advice that the consumers get those credit reports Same. because they can see what accounts are open in their names. So mm-hmm. that way they can see if people have tried to open accounts fraudulently. They will also be able to see where credit inquiries are done. So, you know, if somebody yeah. is trying to impersonate them, uh, they should pick that up as well. And very importantly, if they are in doubt that their information has been compromised, please change passwords um, on things like yeah. your your banking applications mm-hmm. and and other sort of uh, store applications, and very importantly, of using the same password for every one of them. Um, you know, it's, it's very important to. to <laughs> I'm, I'm a know, culprit. <laughs> yes, it, it, most people are because yeah. you know, we've got so many passwords that we need to remember. But it is really good identity protection advice to mm. to make sure that you change the passwords because. Should your password land in the wrong hands, sure. um, you know, it, it may only be one one application that, that they get access to. But if mm. you're using the same one all over, they can get it's into your bank accounts, yeah. they can get into social media platforms, they can get in anywhere. That was Head of Operations at Southern African Fraud Prevention Services. That is Roy Retief on the line talking there to Zikona Miso. Let's take a short break on the other side of that. And Musa will be here with the news headlines. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. 
Good morning, I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, a delegation from the West African regional bloc ECOWAS and members of Mali's military say they've reached an agreement on several points following a day of negotiations on returning the country to civilian rule. South Africa's Minister of Health, Dr. Zulimkeze, says monitoring and surveillance for coronavirus cases will continue at schools when learners return to classes this morning. And Sudan's Prime Minister, Abdullah Hamdok, says the government is ready to cooperate with the International Criminal Court so that those accused of war crimes in Darfur appear before the tribunal, a list that includes ousted President Umar Abushir. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 29 minutes before 8 Central African time. Now, statistics indicate that male pattern baldness affects approximately 50% of men over the age of 50. Male hair loss is said to be also related to prostate health. Dehydrotestosterone, or DHT, is best known for its roles in causing male pattern hair loss and prostate problems. For more on the prevalence of male hair loss and problems associated with it, we are now joined on the line by Rashid Patel. He's from the Fusion Laboratories here in South Africa. Uh, Rashid, good morning and welcome to Channel Africa. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, firstly, how much of a concern is male hair loss? I mean, for us, none the wiser. We might think it's natural to experience hair loss as we age. No? Yes, definitely. It is natural. uh, But with that said, certain environmental factors can actually exacerbate the problem. Uh, It is on the rise in South Africa. We follow the uh, we follow development of certain uh, countries when we look at statistics including that of Australia, USA, and Canada. We see a rise in those countries, and we know that South Africa pretty much follows the pattern of those countries, albeit a little bit later. Mm. Dehydrotestosterone. Tell us a little bit more about that. What is it? Okay. The short, uh, the abbreviated name for dehydrotestosterone is DHT. It stems from the hormone testosterone in men. So as you correctly pointed out in the beginning of the conversation, as men age and depending on their genetic disposition, the testosterone breaks down into a byproduct called dihydrotestosterone, which is DHT. Normal levels, perfectly fine. The body busts it out and not a problem. It's when those levels start rising that they start interfering with the hair follicle. They start degenerating the hair follicle, which results in thinning. I would imagine that uh, there are certain people who are predisposed to to hair loss, and there are certain uh, yes. health risks that are associated with us. Tell us, tell us about that. Okay, so um, with regards to DHT, we mentioned that it affects the hair follicle. The two other areas of concern when it comes to health uh, and how DHT actually affects health is that DHT could also start affecting the fat cells in the midsection of males. So sometimes we see guys with uh, a gut, a little bit of a belly. It's not always related to an unhealthy diet or lifestyle. It could well be DHT related. The one that's probably the most common and obviously of importance to your listeners is that DHT could also start interfering with prostate and that's why men over the age of 40 should go for an annual prostate checker. So DHT is three big symptoms within the body. Number one, it could affect the hair follicle. Number two, it obviously could uh, uh, encourage 
fat accumulation in the midsection of males. And number three, it could also start interfering with prostate health. Mm. Now, in terms of, uh, in, in the intro, I alluded to the fact that this uh, affects approximately 50% of men over the age of 80, I mean, uh, of 50. But are we only yes. talking about those ages or it, it's also uh, somewhat prevalent in, among people who, who are younger? Okay, so that was, I would say that's correctly the norm, that hey, the biggest concern of hair loss is men over the age of 50. These days, I don't think it's always completely accurate anymore, just because of the lifestyle and the environmental factors that are evident. So these days we are seeing an increased number of cases in females, number one, and number two, we're also seeing that the uh, age of male pattern hair loss is actually coming down. So these days we have our officers that actually treat males that are starting to lose hair as young as the age of 25, which was never really the case. And that's generally due to foods that we eat, stressful conditions, environmental factors, etc. Mm. I'm thinking of a case where uh, somebody who was younger, uh, being the, the English footballer Wayne Rooney, who was balding yes. significantly and uh, boom, suddenly he had a full head of hair. Talk, talk to us about the, the treatment options available. Sure. So um, there's, uh, there's, there's a vast range of treatments available in South Africa. Uh, it depends on, the first thing that we would look at is depending on the genetic severity. So if the hair, if the alopecia is mild, you can generally treat it with a DHT blocker. That would either be in the form of a multi-mutant or even uh, scheduled medication. So that would be one option. Laser therapy is always an option that is on the, uh, on the table. The concern of when it really comes into place is important in the sense that if the hair follicle is completely dead, then a vitamin or mineral or even a DHT blocker won't be able to reinstitute, uh, reinstitute growth. What they would then need to look at is probably hair transplants, and that is a viable option for men. There are quite a few clinics in South Africa that do actually affect it, but that's an option if the hair follicle is completely dead. Now, finally, uh, Rashid, let's talk about the advice that you can give to men, um, let's say, who are still younger, you know, at the peak of their lives as they, as they think about it, um, to avoid falling into this trap of, of losing hair later in, in, in their lives. What advice can you give to them in terms of do's and don'ts? Okay. Uh, try and live a healthy lifestyle. As the factors that get preached all the time are quite important. Diet, lifestyle, sex, stress reduction techniques, all very, very important. In some cases, unfortunately, they can only uh, decrease the possibility of hair loss. If it's in your genetic coding, it's bound to show up at some point. My advice would be that if you do have a strong genetic disposition towards it, try and seek help as soon as possible. That's important. It's easier to treat and to cure at the onset rather than leave it later and be in... um, And uh, it would be obviously easier to treat it far earlier than later. There'd be an absolute denial. Definitely sage advice there, Rashid. But thank you very much for taking time to talk to us here on Channel Africa. My pleasure.
Enjoy the rest of the day and thank you so much for having us. A pleasure. Now that is Rashid Patel from Fusion Laboratories here in South Africa. That brings us to 22 minutes before 8 Central African time. We take a short break. We continue with the show after that. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Welcome back. It's uh, 20 minutes before 8 Central African time. You are still with the Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Luyanda Maume. International humanitarian organizations as well as United Nations and the South Sudan government say more than 300,000 people have been forced to flee their homes in the Jonglei region, the largest of the country's 10 regions, following fighting between the heavily armed rebels of the National Salvation Front and the troops of South Sudan People's Defense Force. James Manuela reports. According to spokesperson for one of the organizations, International Committee of the Red Cross, Christ Wells, the fighting in the Jonglei region has forcibly uprooted thousands of people from their homes and left entire areas without access to medical care. We've continued to see violence in Jonglei. Thousands of people displaced from their homes. They lost the agricultural land, their livestock, and an untold number have been killed and injured. Those who lost everything to the recent armed violence are now dealing with the consequences of widespread flooding that can make it even harder to go home. The violence that Christ Wells is referring to stems from the ongoing fighting between rebels of the National Salvation Front and the Juba government troops in Jonglei, the country's largest region. Christ Wells says apart from fighting, forcing people to abandon their homes, floods caused by heavy rains have left more people homeless. There are more people now being forced from their homes because of flooding. They need humanitarian assistance just to get through the day-to-day. And from our perspective, I think what's the most concerning is that there's still parts of the state that are not accessible because of floodwaters. And it's these communities that we're really worried could be at particular risk of malnutrition and disease, particularly if they're surrounded by floodwaters because they're largely going without humanitarian assistance. Christ Wells says flooding and the COVID-19 pandemic have made it more difficult for humanitarian organizations to deliver assistance to the needy people in Jonglei. The organization fears that those living in remote areas of the region are at grave risk 
risk of malnutrition and disease because some places are not reachable due to flooding. Christ Wells sheds light on what the International Committee of the Red Cross has been doing in Bortown, the capital of Jonglei region. The International Committee of the Red Cross has been working in Boar Town, where many of those who fled the most recent round of armed violence fled too. And we found people sheltering largely in public spaces, such as schools and churches, with very little um, basic needs like blankets and sleeping mats and food. We heard pretty devastating stories from people who were affected by the armed violence. Um, one man said, for example, that he saw women and children lying dead on the ground in his community in the wake of the violence, and that he walked for seven days through the water with no food just to reach for all to sleep in very substandard living conditions. Explaining what the International Committee of the Red Cross plans to do in the days to come, Christ Wells had this to say working in the coming weeks to continue to assess the needs of those who've been affected by the floods so we can plan um, the next phase of our response accordingly. But I think to summarize, this is an example of how in South Sudan, armed violence continues to have absolutely devastating effects on communities that already survived years of war. And when families are forced to flee their homes and leave behind agricultural land, when they lose their livestock, it just makes what was already a fragile situation much more delicate. As the situation remains delicate, rebels of the National Salvation Front continue to fight government troops in Junglei. The rebels are led by Thomas Cirillo, former general in South Sudan Army. His rebel group is not party to the peace agreement that was signed by various rebel groups in the third week of February this year to pave the way for the formation of a government of national unity in South Sudan. Speaking from an undisclosed location in Junglei region, General Thomas Cirillo provided an up Update on what is happening now. What is happening is that uh, South Sudan government forces under Salfakir uh, is the one now attacking the forces of uh, National Salvation Front. And uh, you have been warning the people and informing the international community they got, but uh, nobody was giving any comment or saying anything about this until forces of the government started to attack us. We are under attack for almost two weeks. The government is shelling all the villages and our people are running in the bushes. Disclosing what the Juba government is doing now in Junglei, General Cirillo said. They are now messing a lot of forces in the area, but of course we are using every means to defend ourselves, including some of our special units that are using bows and arrows now to defend ourselves. Confirming that his rebel movement, the National Salvation Front, did not sign the peace agreement, General Cirillo brought the following factor to light. National Salvation Front refused to sign the agreement because we think this agreement is not fair and therefore we are seeking, we are asking the International Committee and regard to help the people of South Sudan for us to agree on what is good for our people. The Juba government has repeatedly described the National Salvation Front as a tribal movement. General Cirillo again. National Salvation Front is not a tribal uh, organization. National Salvation Front is not a regional organization. We are a national organization. We are struggling for the people of South Sudan to be free from the operation, from all that was happening in South Sudan. So we 
we are not a tribal organization. That was General Thomas Cirillo, leader of National Salvation Front rebel group in South Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. And finally, on a lighter note, it remains the biggest Jerusalem Dance Challenge in the world so far. And it took place in South Africa's Platinbeck Bay in the Western Cape province this past weekend. Around 700 of the town's residents gathered to dance to Master Cage's global hit, regarded as a worldwide lockdown anthem. They strutted their stuff to the homegrown beat. Sakrichetti reports. For months now, the Jerusalem Dance Challenge has been trending all over the world. Not to be outdone by the others, the seaside Garden Root Town was also ready for the challenge. For weeks, residents practiced in their homes, at work and at school. And with the easing of lockdown regulations this week, they decided that this was going to be the ultimate celebration for them. Local resident and Zumba instructor Merle Hagerman was responsible for teaching the masses the dance moves. I'm the Zumba instructor in Petenburg Bay. So made a video and it went viral in our town and it's awesome. We've had so much support and it's lekker om hier te wees. From knee to a brick to I think 70, 80 plus, everyone's here. It's it's a fabulous community and everyone pulled together to make this a big success. Observing strict social distancing, they shut down the town's main road. Their efforts culminated with hundreds dancing to the hit track. 16-year-old Ruvay Pawi took center stage by taking part with a group of friends from the small community of the Crags. Yes. Yes. And we've been practicing for three weeks. All right. And were you excited to do this? How did it turn out? Yes. It was very nice. We enjoyed it. Yes. Local Plet resident Ruby Chetty was also an active participant. I am totally, totally awed by the fact that they put it together and the response that they got from the town. We're all suffering because of the COVID and in our, our town is the destination town. So we're hoping whatever happens here today will go viral and we would get more people coming to our beautiful Plettenberg Bay. Organizer Rob Bockelman says the idea behind the dance challenge was to bring the community together following a few rough months since the pandemic hit. It's, they call it the Jerusalem Challenge, but it's more a significance of people coming together with a purpose to be able to uh, you know, express themselves. And I think we all need expression at this time after all those months of no expression. It gets very deep, you know. So this was a wonderful way just to come out of it and have, so have a good time. Plettenberg Bay is also one of those tourist-dependent towns which is hoping to revive the economy with level two of the lockdown. I'm Segui Chetty in Plettenberg Bay in the Western Cape. That report by Sakri Chetty brings us to 10 minutes before 8 Central African time. It means it's time for economics update. Here's Tabi Solihoku.
Thanks, Luanda. Zambian President Edgar Lungu has terminated the contract of Bank of Zambia Governor Danny Kaliala with immediate effect. Kaliala has been replaced by Deputy Secretary to the Cabinet, Finance and Economic Development, Christopher Mvunga. Mvunga is a former Deputy Finance and National Planning. The Securities and Exchange Commission of Nigeria has restated its resolve to increase the attractiveness of the capital market and ensure investor protection by ridding the market of fraudsters. The Commission also revealed plans to reverse the current demography of participants in the market. The Director General Lamido Yaguda said this at the Virtual Post Capital Market Committee briefing saying that the Commission would work towards simplifying the transaction process by ensuring timely and affordable access to the market. Kenyan manufacturers are calling for repayment of withholding VAT from running into millions of U.S. dollars owed by the Kenya Revenue Authority. The tax authority owes businesses over 9.25 million U.S. dollars where appointed agents are required to withhold VAT at the rate of 2% from 6% of the value of purchased taxable supplies as amended in Finance Act 2019. The Kenya Association of Manufacturers says that the repayment would serve as the needed economic stimulus to business and help retain jobs. Lesotho's finance minister, Atabo Sofania, says that the 49.1 million US dollar loan approved by the International Monetary Fund will allow the government to seek more external financial assistance to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic of financial needs. The IMF approved the loan to help Lesotho meet its urgent balance of payment needs stemming from the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. The funding is from the IMF's Rapid Credit Facility and the Rapid Financing Instrument. Small and medium enterprises are eagerly looking forward to the launch of the Eswatini Trade Information Portal next month. The portal will help local businesses to understand and adhere to the rules and regulations governing import and export trade. This will help save both time and money, reduce error and improve transparency. Indicators at this hour, the U.S. dollar is trading at 385.91 Nigerian Nara, 11.51 Botswana Pula, 106.82 Kenyan Shilling and 18.98 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, in Brazil, 1 U.S. dollar costs 5 rule 61. In Russia, 74 rubles 77. In India, 74 rupees 73. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.91. And in South Africa, it will cost you 17 rand 14. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,943. Platinum at $908 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $44.30 a barrel. 
Channel Africa would like to distance itself from fake social media accounts using the name Channel Africa News. The Facebook, WhatsApp and fake website have been impersonating a genuine Channel Africa digital platform. Channel Africa is not involved. Channel Africa's Facebook account is Channel Africa One. The African Perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Five minutes before 8 Central African time, uh, that brings us to the end of Africa Rise and Shine for today from myself, your host, Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the Africa Rise and Shine team. Thank you for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email. It's info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp. It's plus two seven seven six at three zero zero three three two seven. Tweet us at Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour for news is Subconsciously by Black Coffee featuring Sabrina Claudio. Sabrina Claudio. Until next time, maintain social distance, practice good hygiene, and stay safe. COVID-19 still a reality. <laughs>